Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family. I want to thank you for joining us again today as we continue our study in the Holy Spirit, and particularly how the Holy Spirit plays a role in our lives and particularly in the lives of our children. And today I want to talk about the one fundamental truth that every parent must teach to their children. But before I get to the topic, let's, uh, let's put this in context a little bit. Let's say you're listening and you're a mom or a dad, and let's say you have four children under seven years old. One is teething, one is throwing tantrums, one is redecorating your nice home, and you don't even know where the eldest one is right now, and you're thinking, what could be worse? Actually, quite a few things. I don't want to discourage you as a parent, but I do want to prepare you because quite a few things could be worse in the years ahead, and here's just one of them. Your child leaving the faith. Did you know that only 30% of Americans who were raised Catholic are still actively practicing as Catholics? And the heartbreak is that 79% of those millions of Catholics leaving the faith do so by 23 years old. Here's another parental heartbreaker. And again, I don't want to discourage you, but I do want to prepare you and I want to equip you for the years ahead. The fact is that despite enormous amounts of chastity education, tens of millions of young Catholics have fallen into the sexual revolution, and millions are enslaved in a seemingly unshakable pornography habit. Now, I'm sure that all of you listening to this broadcast as parents are aware of the challenges you face in the 21st century, and I'm sure you're taking steps to counter the hostile cultural influences. But this might shock you. In fact, I hope for many of you it does, and I urge you to listen very carefully. And it's this. What most conservative Catholics, or whatever adjective you want, traditional Catholics, homeschooling Catholics, Orthodox Catholics, practicing Catholics, good Catholic parents are doing to spiritually form their children may actually turn out to harm them as they reach their teens and 20s. The particular type of spiritual formation that millions of concerned Catholic parents are employing may contribute to their children eventually becoming casualties of the sexual revolution. I hope I have your attention. I mentioned there's a fundamental truth that every parent must teach their child, and it's not only a fundamental truth, but it, this truth needs to be taught with a certain primacy, a certain order of importance, a certain priority, a certain focus that needs to be continually and accurately maintained when teaching the faith to your children. And if the order is violated, disaster looms on the teenage horizon. So what exactly is the order and primacy that needs to be this special focus when teaching the faith? 
Well, there is a little paperback that I read when the new Catechism of the Catholic Church came out, and it's entitled Introduction to the Catechism of the Catholic Church. It's a thin paperback, and it was co-authored by then Cardinal Ratzinger and Archbishop, now Cardinal Schornborn. And in this book, Cardinal Schornborn's part of the book, he states something very interesting, is that the actual layout, in other words, what's given first place in the catechism, is done purposefully. And not only that, the amount of space given to the different sections of the catechism were also done quite a bit on purpose. And he mentions that in the catechism, 39% is devoted to the creed. That's who God is and what he has done for us. And then 23% of the catechism is devoted for the sacraments. So 62% of the catechism is devoted to who God is, what he has graciously done for us, and how he communicates his grace to us through the sacraments. Almost two-thirds of the of the excuse me, of the catechism is given to the priority of God's grace in who he is, what's he done, and how he communicates it. And then only then does the catechism start speaking of the commandments. And Cardinal Schordenborn goes on to say, the primacy in catechesis is to be given to God and to his works. Whatever man has to do will always be a response to God and his works. Now, as a parent, this is the big, important truth that you need to get across to your children. And I'm not saying about sitting down one time for five minutes and sharing this. I'm talking about the entire course of your family life together while your children are still in your home. And this is conveyed not only in words, but in attitudes and what you give importance to. He goes on to say, God is first. Grace is first. This is the true hierarchy of truth. Catechesis, therefore, must lead primarily to the worship of God and to the proclamation of his great works and to the praise of his grace. Now, many, many millions of Catholic parents, Catholic educators, and Catholic chastity experts are using the catechism as if it were a Hebrew Bible. I don't know if you've ever had a chance to even look at any type of Hebrew book, but it's not like ours. You, From our perspective, you start from the back and work towards the front. In other words, it seems to go in the opposite direction that you would read a normal English book. And what's happening? Listen to me very carefully. Sometimes subtly, but yet very concerned, very good parents are teaching the faith and teaching our catechism as though it were a Hebrew catechism, starting in the back and working to the front. Starting in the back, this is how much we pray. This is how often we go to Mass. This is how we dress. This is how we do this. This is how we obey God. This is how we try to be good Catholics. Don't get me wrong. All of those things, 100% of those things are necessary, but 
are necessary as a response to what comes first, what is primary in our faith. And it's the grace of God and who he is and why he loves us. Now, this is a big question. Why does God love us? It's not because we do all of the things that catechism says we should do. He loves us. Here's the biggie. Because he loves us. That's God. That takes faith. That should be of importance. And if you want to find out how you are doing, both yourself, ask yourself this question. And then I want you to ask, ask your children this question. Here it is. What is the fundamental reason why you think God will allow you to go to heaven? Okay, that's the question. Not too difficult. What is the fundamental reason, the primary reason, why you think God will allow you to go to heaven? Now, if the answer, your answer or your child's answer, begins with I, it's the wrong answer. If your answer or your child's answer begins with Jesus, it's the right answer. Two-thirds or just about two-thirds of our catechism say who God is, what he has done, and how he graciously grants us and conveys to us that life of salvation through the sacraments. God comes first, not me. What I do, and I'm not saying it's not important what we do, it is important, but it's important that it's a response to God's grace, love, and mercy, and not something that I generate within myself. And so where does your family's primary emphasis on the good things we do and should do, but what's the emphasis? Is the emphasis in your spiritual formation on our devotions and how many times we go to Mass a week? And hey, if you go every day, that is superb. Or what you wear, if you dress modestly, you should. Okay. Or often you pray, you should pray very often. In fact, St. Paul says pray all the time. But where's the emphasis? Is it what you're doing to try to subtly, maybe even unconsciously earn the love of God, which you can't earn? You can't deserve. It's grace. That means he's given it to us, even though we're unworthy servants. St. Paul called the do-it-yourself attempts at salvation the law. In other words, trying to, relig- trying to live a religious life by self-effort. Uh, I've called it before the Home Depot method of salvation where you can do it and God can help. Do you see where the priority there is? You, I, me, versus God himself. God has to be first And there are ways of catechizing children and teens and 20-year-olds and adults that convey one of these two things. Romans chapters 7 and 8 are two chapters that need to be thoroughly understood and followed by every Catholic parent. And I would dare say, even more than any parenting book on the planet— 
Romans chapters 7 and 8, in our day and age, with the genuine concerns that every Catholic parent faces, are the two chapters that are of just incredible importance for you and what your children face. You've got to get this one right. Paul starts in Romans chapter 7 and verse 5. He says, while we were living in the flesh. Now, obviously, I'm sitting here in front of a microphone. I'm living in the flesh, but that's not what Paul is saying, not what we're living in a human body. But by the flesh, he's referring to a religious life with unaided human efforts of trying to please God. That's what the flesh is, the do-it-yourself salvation. And he says in Romans 7, 5, listen carefully, while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members. Now, a lot of parents and a lot of chastity educators and a lot of catechists think that some type of legalism and uh, self-generated effort at following God will make kids better kids. What St. Paul is saying, that that method will provoke sin. He says, our sinful passions aroused by the law was at work in our members. In other words, it has a boomerang effect. Even though it's well intended to get kids on the straight and narrow, this is not the way to do it. He goes on, Romans 7, verse 7. If it had not been for the law, I should have not known sin. I should have not known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, finding opportunity in the commandment, wrought in me all kinds of covetousness. So in other words, a religious education that approaches the Catholic faith or a chastity seminar that approaches moral purity as the catechism, for instance, is a Hebrew Bible going from back to front, starting with what we do and then adding on with what God has done, rather than having it in the proper order, the proper primacy is that what God has done and how he wants to live through us, and it's his power that enables us to fulfill the righteous requirements of a genuine Christian. Let me go on. Romans 7, verse 15. Parents, you really need this one. And I'll tell you what has driven me to these scriptures. It is dealing with Catholic men and young men with the pornography crisis, and it is just simply horrendous. And certain things we are doing are not working, and so we really need to get back to the ultimate basics and get the full power of what our Christian faith offers us. But listen to what Paul says again. Again, this is trying to be religious on your own steam. Romans 7 and verse 15. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very things I hate. In other words, you end up doing the opposite of even a well-intentioned self-effort at religious practice. You'll end up doing the opposite you'll become worse. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. Do you hear this? This is an orientation, and this isn't just what 
perhaps Judaism in the first century did. This is the normal human approach to religion apart from the scriptures. And then Romans 7 verses 22 and 23. For I delight in the law of God and my inmost self. There's that good part of me. But I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin. You're in handcuffs. You're enslaved. You're imprisoned to your passions and your sins, and you can't get free. And Paul exclaims in verse 24, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? This seems like it's an overwhelming problem. It's an unconquerable ability to get the better of our passions and sins. What's the answer? The answer is found in the next chapter. Before we get there, just let me tell you that you're listening to Faith and Family. I'm your host, Steve Wood, and you can find out more about us on the internet at www.familylifecenter.net. Romans chapter 8 is the answer to the enslavement to sinful passions that the law and the flesh, in other words, the unaided type of religious practice creates, and that if you get this backwards, if you make grace secondary in what you do primary— things will be worse. You will stir things up even more than they would apart from religion, and you could end up in a worse condition. So what I'm sharing is very serious, and this, again, isn't something that you just share with your children once, hey, grace is important, and kind of proceed by your actions, attitudes, and words to kind of eclipse this? No, this is something that always needs to be front and center. So let's go for our liberation from sin. Paul writes in Romans 8, for the law of the spirit of life, the Holy Spirit is life. This is why I'm emphasizing the Holy Spirit in the 21st century. This is not an option for young people today, and I should say adults as well. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. For God, not me, God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. So he sent his own son in order that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh. I did it. I try harder. I'm going to be religious. No, but according to the spirit. In other words, your life, not just the beginning, but the entire walk, the course, the direction, the years and months of my Christian life is according to the Spirit. I'm putting my trust, my dependence on God and His grace and His gracious gift of the Holy Spirit that He grants to me and He nourishes me through the sacraments. That's what will keep me in the faith and actually meet the requirements of righteousness, which I can't do in and of myself because I have this internal war going on, and the harder I try, the worse it gets. And if I try to put some burden on a young person without showing them the plan of grace, they will get worse. And there are chastity speakers who can make things worse. 
and so-called pornography experts that can make things worse if you don't keep God first. Romans 8 and verse 7, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. This is the Bible. We can't do this by ourselves, and we can't do it if we're leading the train by ourselves. But he says in the next verse, those who in the who are in the flesh, doing it by themselves, cannot please God, but you are not in the flesh. You are in the Spirit. So here, here, here are your options. We can have the legalism, the bondage to the flesh, which means we're trying to do it ourselves, and we become a slave to sinful desires. Or we can approach the faith as the catechism does, and put grace first, the love and mercy of God first, and then the Holy Spirit in the environment of grace and faith and trust in God's mercy grants us a freedom that doesn't come from us, but from heaven itself, and an ability to conquer the sinful desires of the flesh. Now, you might say, Steve, I know that we're saved by grace, as the church teaches, and I teach that to my children, and I say, that's terrific, but here's a question, a follow-up question. What about your ongoing life with Christ? Does it begin with grace and then the rest is you? Or does it begin with grace and continue with grace? Does it begin with the power of the Holy Spirit and continue with the power of the Holy Spirit, or does it begin with the power of the Holy Spirit and then energized by you alone? Well, this is where the book of Galatians comes in and very strong companion to what St. Paul wrote in Romans. The Galatians had a great start, but then they imagined that after they kind of got going by grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit, it was back to do-it-yourself obedience. And this is what St. Paul writes in first chapter and verse six, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to another gospel. Paul says you're abandoning the gospel if you begin by Christ and trusting God's mercy. And a lot of people get that. But then as a parent, we get scared to death of what's going on in our world and think, whoa, we gotta come up with some stuff that we do and don't get me wrong, we are to do these things. They're a part of our faith, but if they become primary, if they eclipse the grace and the love and the power of the Holy Spirit, we're in big trouble. As Paul writes in Galatians 3, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Let me ask you this, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing with faith? You heard that God loves you and that he will save you if you put your trust in him. It wasn't by something you did. Are you so foolish having begun with the spirit that you are now ending with the flesh? Did you experience so many things in vain? And then he says in chapter three and verse 10, hear this, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Ooh. Now, Paul was writing to Catholic Christians 
at the church in Galatia. There were no other kind of Christians back then. There was no divisions, you know, and separation from the Catholic Church. And he's saying to them, to the Catholic Christians in Galatia, for all who rely, that's when your ultimate primary reliance is under the works of the law. In other words, what you're trying to do unaided, you're under a curse. But he says in verse 13 of chapter 3, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, that in Christ Jesus we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And then he goes on in a very important chapter 5. He talks about the works of the flesh. In other words, when you're trying to be religious on your own unaided effort, you're not following the outline and importance given to the primacy of God, his grace, and his sacraments as the catechism does, you will have the result of what Paul calls the works of the flesh. And he said, these are plain. This is Galatians 5.19. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, sorcery, strife, jealousy, anger, selfishness, drunkenness, carousing, and the like. That's what happens when you get this wrong. But the fruit of the Spirit, notice he doesn't say the works of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. Yes, we cooperate with God, but God is first. His grace is first. And we walk with him and we don't strive. We're depending on his strength. And as a result, I mean, obviously a tree cooperates with the sunshine and with the water and with the roots and everything else, but it's a natural, supernatural bearing of fruit. And the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. So if we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. The one fundamental truth that every Catholic parent must keep front and center instructing their children is that Jesus loves them because he loves them, and that trusting in God's grace, that's faith, is not just a one-time event, it's a lifelong event. And it's something we can't emphasize enough uh, to our children, to ourselves. And if we trust this good news, then Jesus will unleash the power of the Holy Spirit within us to love him even more. This is Faith and Family episode number 16. My suggestion, you get a copy of this and literally listen to it 20 times because very often our patterns of thought are running counter to the good news. Till next time, this is Steve Wood. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at familylifecenter.net. To order a CD copy of today's broadcast, order online at www.familylifecenter.net.